When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back for another week of defense with D.C., our defensive coordinator, Dan Carroll from the USFL Michigan Panthers. And this week, we're going to focus on an outstanding performance by the Middle Tennessee defense. We'll talk about last plays and the two-minute drive. And, of course, we'll cover our weekly option tips. And, as always, joining me is Dan Carroll. Dan, great to have you back for another week. Great to be here, Keith, man. Another great week of football. Can't wait to get talk about it and get started with it. So the game we're focused on this week is the performance by Scott Schaefer's defense at Middle Tennessee State, defeating Miami in a significant stat, holding them to 60 yards rushing on 38 attempts. I know you saw a lot that you liked from this performance when you went back and watched the game. Yeah, one thing that I thought stood out is just how aggressive and vertical they played their D-line. They were playing a four-down front. They were in a lot of too high, a lot of quarters looks. You know, they, they did play a little bit of one high, and they had some other fires and stuff off of it. But a good bit of it was quarters and four down defense. And just how fast and aggressive they were able to play, it seemed like this is something that's pretty common in four down quarters, something, you know, a strategy that I've used in the past and something that I'm familiar with. But playing the guys away from the back extremely fast and vertical, loosen their gap fast and vertical up the field, really so the back doesn't feel like he has a bounce front side. Like we're dictating where the ball's going to go. And if you watch, they were able to do that quite often. No matter who the D tackle was away from the back, whether they had three set to the back based on where the tight end was, the nose was set to the back, whatever it was, three was away, three was two. The D tackle on the, you know, away from the back was able to get vertical and cut the field off multiple times. And you know, you could see a couple of times that, they were even playing a shade away from the back, which typically people play at two eyes if you're four down and you're playing kind of zone alignment rules. But they were playing a shade, and he was getting vertical, and the ball would jump cut right back in the backside A gap, and the Mike Packer sitting right there. So I think those are things you got to be able to do, especially when, you know, maybe playing a team that's bigger than you, and you got to be able to use your speed. And, and if you can use your speed to dictate where the ball is going to go, it's always going to give you a good chance. And, you know, the other thing I like about that is, when you play this RPO world, play RPO and play action, you see these a lot. What happens a lot is if you play every block and everybody tries to play every block like a run block, you never get any pressure. And sometimes these RPO pass protection, it's like they might be there for – the quarterback might stand back there for three seconds if the – you know, whatever RPO blows because it just – it allows you when you play that aggressive against the run, it allows you to have the possibility of getting some pressure in the RPO game. So I think that it's a great strategy if you're four down defense to, you know, however you want to set it up, whether it's just the, the tackle away from the back or the end away from the back, whatever, but telling those guys, look, we're going to try to bottle the back up. We're going to try to cut the front off by pushing these guys through their gaps. And then we know where the ball is going to go in the run game. And then we're going to be able to get some pressure if it's RPO, if it's play action or something like that. So, I thought they did a great job with that. 
something that, again, I think all four down defenses should look at and how they do it because if everybody is playing run block and it turns into being RPO, the quarterback is not stressed at all. So, and I, I want to make sure he's stressed when he's putting the ball in the air because that's the, probably the fastest way we can get us one. So, when you look at running the ball, right? When I learned the zone, zone run game, which is almost two decades ago now, one of the key things I learned from from really all the guys was penetration kills the play and you know on zone plays we're trying to get distortion we much rather prefer that distortion be horizontal than somebody coming into our backfield now there's ways to deal with that but that's not ideal you don't want guys in your backfield I think you bring up a great point too in that the RPO world in a lot of ways, if you're not just letting somebody run off the edge so you're solid blocking on an end that the quarterback doesn't have to deal with him, that quarterback will have more time and he's better protected than the RPO. I, I can recall Dave Clawson talking at a clinic and showing their statistics and the change in, in where they went offensively when they went to this RPO offense. And that one of the points he brought up is, you know, they didn't actually spend a whole lot of time on pass protecting because most of their plays came from us. Now, they run a very unique offense in the way that they slow mesh and the way that they play their offensive line and how it opens up things behind for them. But the point being, penetration now goes back into one cutting off running lanes right it's it's gonna definitely gonna constrict the running area because that guy no longer really can get outside of that but as you said you have to be filling there too so while you might say well it's going to open up the opportunity for rpo if you got that guy gap charging and he's getting into the backfield that turns into a, a keep i mean that quarterback doesn't have a whole like a whole heck of a lot of time to get rid of the football yeah i agree and one thing that you see, and I won't say lately, sometimes these years run together and it, it's been a lot longer than you think, but so much four-by-one zone that winds back, right? So I always wonder, like, the, the people that have been able to cut the field off on the opposite side of the back, is that has that created somewhat more of a veer path for the backs? You know, I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on that, but it's just, it's always been interesting because I've seen people have success of shooting the guys up the field away from the back, shoot them up the field, kind of bottle it up. But now if the, if the offense is truly running almost like a beer path or backside A to bounce backside pass with the back, it doesn't really matter anymore you know, from a run perspective. Right. Well, you see teams running more versions of, of their zone that way where it's, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a straight ahead downhill dive play. They're not looking to, bounce that thing they're not necessarily looking to cut it back very far so they're specifically hitting there yeah against those those types it becomes difficult but if you're looking against teams that like to utilize uh, the wide zone or, or or mid zone now it becomes a little different because on those plays as i said you're you're looking more for that horizontal distortion of the defense and penetration yeah. is, is going to start to to force decisions much quicker and your back's got to be good at that. If, if, you know, you're a read pole, you got to be, be better at those kinds of things. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said as far as a strategy, but I, I, I think that's a good point that you bring up. You gotta, you gotta watch. I mean, there's teams that are set up to handle those things very well. So something else that, that plays off of, of this, that you have to be careful of and something I've been in this situation before, but 
when you play so vertical, typically when you're playing in a quarter structure, you want to spill gap schemes to get it out to the safety, right? The, you know, between the DN and the mic, specifically Miami ran counter a few times, OY, right? The DN spills first one, Mike, or Will spills the second one, safety makes the hit, right? Well, what happens, what can happen is when you're playing them so vertical is the DN ends up boxing the guard, right? The mic spills the Y, and now the safety's got to fit inside, which is fine generally. The, the thing that Miami was being able to get and again, I've ran this exact same situation before, is they, the safety, when he's got to fit inside, they generally feel like they got to come down quicker because the ball is not getting bounced uh, laterally. It's getting hit vertical. So they come down quicker, and then it was opening the glance window to the X. So I know maybe this is a little bit uh, contradictory, but when you're playing those guys vertical and you're playing them up field fast, you still got to be conscious to be able, if you've got counter sets, or you've got gap scheme sets that are going to come back there. Okay? You, it's great change up to be able to have a way, maybe you, you pirate or you just chase the five technique down or however you do it, whatever your stunts are, and make sure that ball gets spilled out to the safety. Because when it gets spilled out and you know that you're going to cancel the two gaps that are coming back with the counter and the safety, you can typically play it a little slower, hold the RPO window and still make the tackle on the counter. So I think that's a game you always got to play with those guys, whether you're playing a dead quarter safety back there, or in this case, I believe middle Tennessee was using the boundary safety on the tight end coming back. But either way on that play, he's in the same fit, whether he was in a you know regular quarter or potion three, when the tight end come back, he's going to be in the same fit anyway, but he's in that conflict of hold the glance window, play the run. So how do we how do we make that take a little bit off that complex? Well, you know, cut the front, make the ball go lateral, best you can, and then um, you know just got to coach him up to hold, 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 and best he can to you know hold that window and then come downhill and make the play on the counter. Middle Tennessee did a great job of shutting down the run, but they were doing some great things secondary wise. Uh, a big part of what you saw was the three deep, two under fire zones and getting some pressure there. So what things did you see that worked really well from a strategic standpoint? Well, the first play of the game, you know, Miami gets in the double squeeze set. Uh, a lot of people see that now. I know it's a, a major formation in pro football and, you know, everybody is running it. They got, you get mesh off of it. You can get smash off of it, but the quick game, the double outcuts, right? You got two by two, everything squeezed down tight. I just call it squeeze set. Everything is real tight, and then just both the receivers go out cuts. A lot of people play cloud to this. For split safety defense, you, you typically one option you have is to cloud both sides and carry, and it's that's good. If you get maybe you get a scissors combination off of it, cloud is typically going to be really good. The corner can hinge out inside backer, and nickel can carry two safety high, right? They push it through the flat the corner, plays the top down. It's really pretty good for a double any type of double burst out of it. But the double outcut has always been a little bit stressful because let's say you run into the boundary, the will linebacker, he's trying to take that guy. He's trying to sit on that guy going vertical so he don't get beat, but then he's got to match him out, right? So when you, you, know, you get that quick out route or quick stick route, so what they did on the first play of the game was it looked like they were in cloud to the boundary, and then the corner let one go, and he came back almost like he was in a trap corner where he played between one and two, not outside of one, and he picked the ball off. So I thought that was a good change up. You know, I, I thought about things like that in the past. I don't know that I've ever actually got it in or got it coached up well enough, but, you know, and maybe they did. Maybe the corner just had some an instinctual play, but either way, 
you know, it's something I'm going to look at in the future against that when we're in split safety and we're going to cloud it. You know, people running the double quick outs, there's a good chance you know, you're going to want to get to uh, be able to trap it where maybe you slide out a little bit as one goes to flat, but then you fall back inside and, you know, sit on the outcut of two because it is a tough deal when you're in cloud there. So I thought that was really good. Um, however it happened, it was awesome. And then you said, you mentioned the fire zone. Yeah, they they were in a good bit of the 3D2 under fire zone. Blitzing, you know, bringing the inside backers a lot, using the safeties to come down. And I call those two guys, they're just scene players, you know, that I, I, I've never coached uh, – extensively within that within that system so i've watched a lot of it though and i've had a lot of intrigue about it i just never really coached it so those two seam players that sit there they play off the eyes of the quarterback i thought it it was looked like it was a little confusing for miami's offense typically what you see is you see routes designed to get the ball in the flat quickly push the corner vertical and then get the ball in the flat quickly and then try to you know just rally to the sticks before those seam players can break on the ball but you know i didn't it didn't seem like they had enough of that stuff dialed up that it was really going to beat it because the ball at times was still trying to go to the middle of the field, which is the one place the ball I don't think can go when you're in that coverage. I think you should try to be getting it to the sideline best you can and getting somebody to push the ver- the get somebody vertical to push the corner out of there. So that was good, and you know you get sacks off of it when when they're trying to see what's open in the middle of the field and nothing is, and you know you're bringing six or. If they got home a lot, they sacked them a decent amount on it and pressured them just about every time they ran it. And they ran it in the run game a little bit too, but it was most evident on third down. But great, great pressure and just their ability to get Miami to second guess and not be real sure on third down and not be sure where to go with the ball and, and really ended up you know doing a really nice job on third and medium, third and long with that. Absolutely. Well, tip of the cap to Scott Schaefer and – his defensive staff at Middle Tennessee certainly a great performance there and a great win for that program. Flipping some things to the situational side, and it's one we've seen come up, I think, again and again here in the early part of the 2022 season. One memorable one is is uh, App State and their their miracle uh, hail mary. Um, but we see a lot of games coming down to that two minutes, right? That last drive and and so both of those things, the two-minute drive and that particular last play, the Hail Mary is what we're going to focus on today and um, and looking at some things situationally. So what do you have for us there, Dan? The critical situations that come up in football games are, are going to be the things, as you get down the stretch in your season and you're in, you know, trying to fight for conference championships and fight for playoff positioning, whether you're high school, whether you're a college, it's going to be – there's going to be a game or two you're going to look back at the end of the year and say that these critical situations, we really needed to practice this more, do this better or whatever. I can remember being at University of Houston in 2017. And we, at the end of the season, we had played a total of 12 games that year with the bowl game. Uh, One of our regular season games was canceled, but like, I think it was nine of our games were decided by a score or less. So when that happens, you're always looking at, I mean, these fourth quarter situations that are so critical to the game. So one thing we started doing was building a library of all these situations for all the offensive coordinators that we would play the next year. You start that basically as soon as the summer goes. And I understand everybody's got different access to film and a different amount of help. It is, it's a, it's certainly a, a task, but you know, when you have the help, when you have the access to film and when you can get it done, I think it's really important, but all the little situations that you come up in, you know, 
just to be able to say, all right, here's the 12 offensive coordinators we're going to play against, and I want a library for each one for all these little things. And so for two-minute, the, the thing about two-minute is a lot of times we practice it so much in fall camp, and, you know, you have three or four shots of it in fall camp, maybe more, sometimes more. Uh, some operations will hit it on Sunday night, you know, kind of, you know, you have your little Sunday night practice in college and Sunday afternoon practice, and you'll go through the mechanics of it versus your offense. And that's kind of what you'll do. But I think it's really important to show it to the players during the week to at least, at the very least, on a Friday, if you're on a, on a, on a Saturday game schedule, you walk through or jog through the routes and kind of what you intend to call and make an emphasis to the players because th there's so many little tips, you know, protecting the sideline, right? Laying on the pile as long as you can, not to get a delay a game, but just making sure you don't jump off the guy after you tackle him, that kind of thing. Like all those things that you do to kill time, if you're expecting the work you put in in August to be enough in October, I think that, you know, you're going to probably not be satisfied with the results. So, you know, coaching two minute every week and, and just making sure that you're putting an emphasis and there's a lot of situations I think are like this that are getting neglected as the season goes on, but making sure you're putting an emphasis on it, you know, especially later in the week and it doesn't have to be high impact and high speed, but, but here are the routes. Here's what we'll call against it. And here's how they're going to match up. And, you know, I think from a you know, schematically, just making sure you have a couple change ups, making sure you can protect the sideline and typically like, anything where the corners are clouded and they're the ones protecting the sideline because they already have leverage on the, on the offensive players and, and they can keep the guys off the sideline, keep the ball in the middle of the field best you can. The other thing I think just whatever your coverage is, what happens a lot where they get the chunk plays is either they get the deep sale routes and your corners can't, they or can't or won't get enough depth to play under them or they get the deep in cuts. And it's because the space between your underneath coverage and the depth of your deep coverage is so big okay so you you know you have to just make sure that, that you're conscious of that and where that stuff can come from but making sure that you walk through a practice and show it sequentially to the players hey this is the drive right and i'm specifically talking about end of half too because end of, or excuse me game because end of half is, is different to me so i always break it down eoh and eog right but this is end of game two minutes i love that idea of building the library because for one it's it's not necessarily year to year or maybe even by the the time you play that team something that you may see on tape to then they might not have had that opportunity to do many of those things so if you're you're building something on that offensive coordinator just in the the approach right the way we approach that situation is we're going to have a package that we run all year it gets installed we rep it we're going to get good at it over the course of the season by not messing with it, keeping it simple, being able to have, you know, our procedures down pat. But that's what you're going to see, right? And as you said, it may change end of game, end of half. I, I like that you're delineating those as well. But I think that's the way to really start to give your players a feel for this particular week. If we hit this situation, this is what they like to do. This is what you're going to see. Because for the most part, we, we get out there. It's exactly like you said. We're going to go against our D. They're going to run the packages, things they do, which is probably in some ways similar to the opponent. Um, yep. And same thing from us. You're, you're probably going to see a lot of similar things there. But, I mean, all of that is 
you know, it, it's going to, there are going to be some differences, right? So I like giving it that context. And I agree, that's something that you have to go back through the game film, you know, for high school guys, I know the space is at a premium now because you get charged for it. But I would say, you know, as, as you're looking at this season, before you wipe out all the opponent film, if you're able to uh, capture on some of that scout film, those two-minute situations, man, archive those. Put them in a playlist, archive them, and build that library on that particular team so so you have that, so you can show it, so you can cover it in a meeting, so you can walk through it in, in a practice that week and give your guys something more specific to defend rather than going out and, and working in generalities. Yeah, you know, I think so many of these things come just from your different experiences. And I just, I hope that coaches just take their, like see their experiences for what they are. And, and I'll say this because, and I, and I think of this, I think about like two point plays. You know, I worked for a lot of different people, but one guy I worked for that's an offensive coach, and I want to put this out there for him, but a very creative, great offensive coach that, you know, had principles, but man, he could really like with motion, with different things, do a lot of different things with the offense. And, and, I, and we always had good offenses when I worked with him. But when it came time to run two-point play, he was probably going to go on balance, X off, sprint the guy over and sprint out, you know, uh, motion the guy over and sprint out the snag set. Like clockwork. I mean, like every time we did a, like a two-minute drill in spring or in fall camp or spring ball, like that's what was going to get. It was the first play you were going to get. And so, like, I looked at that, like, you know, as creative as you might be and as multiple as you might be on offense or defense, in a lot of these critical situations, you're not going to be nearly as creative. So I could go back and find your two-point plays, a library of them, and let's say I can find five of them on you. If we line up in two-point tomorrow, you're probably going to call one of those five. So I think that, like, there's going to be a lot less multiplicity in these critical situations yeah. because for the same thing talking about, you don't practice – nobody practices – I don't say nobody. Nobody I've ever experienced practices two-minute – on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, right? That's when you're practicing all the things that have multiplicity to them, right? Your auto blitzes, your uh, combo coverages. Hey, we're going to play quarters this week. We're not going to play it how we've always played it. We're going to play it this way. And then that two minute becomes, all right, we got our way to play two man. We got our way to play our version of Tampa. And then we got a way to blitz them. Right? And it's probably going to be pretty consistent throughout the season and throughout your career as a coordinator and, and as staff. So, think that you know using the library you can get this stuff like if i pull up a two-minute drill because i don't have one from this year i pull one up from last year it's probably going to be very similar the routes are going to be similar so i I think that's uh, extremely important and you know it's just those critical situations like the i think the worst feeling you can have as a coach is being in one of those situations and feeling like you didn't prepare the players for it so I just it's, I think it's just so important to just to coach it throughout the week. Another thing I do is for a lot of these situations is I'll bring a book out on the on the sideline that has the drives that the offense ran in two minute carded. So if we're playing somebody and they ran two two minute drives this year, I'll have the book out there and all the routes will be carded in the book. And that way. I've been through the situation so many times where you're sitting there on the sideline. Hey, 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 we might be going back for a two-minute drive. Get these guys ready. Talk to them about our calls and, and the routes they ran. Oh, yeah, great idea. Everybody gets down there and say, 
hey, you remember that second down route they ran two weeks ago? Uh, well, yeah, I thought they – number one was on the dick. No, 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 no. Number one went vertical. Two was the dick. And then, you know, you you, you got – you're just having this conversation ahead headset. So, bring the cards out, hard up to the two-minute drill, bring it out, and then when you're saying, hey, it might be two-minute drill, go grab the situational book, bang, here they go. Guys, last week they had two-minute situation. First thing they started with was draw. This is what it looked like. This is the formation. Next, next one they started with, they ran, you know, they ran um, pin route, right, bang. So, you know, you just have that stuff with you on the sideline, so there's never any confusion. Because, again, when you think you're going to go back for a two-minute offense, typically has the ball, right? Sometimes it's a longer drive. Hey, if we score here, right, you got to be ready for two minutes, right? So to take the guys through that and have some information on the sideline that, that you don't have to try to jog your memory or go back to your call sheet and see all that stuff, I think is very helpful, especially to the assistants and stuff that, you know, might be taking their players through that. Yeah. Incredibly important points there. Uh, one being the critical situations. I totally agree in those because of the lack of frequency, we do tend to game plan and put in a package that we will rep all year. I think you can go to the two-point plays. I think in, in a lot of a lot of times it's coming out, right? From the shadow of your own goalpost, guys are going to do the same things. But the point going back to it is is to build that library on those guys. It may not all happen in this one year, or what you're getting a picture of this one, you might not be able to tell the story. This is what these guys do in this situation. So looking at all of those rare things and starting to build that library, thinking about it, you know, when this season ends, hey, before we, you know, if you have to uh, get rid of film space because of whatever system you use, uh, before you flush that, being able to grab some of those and set them aside and and build those tapes to go back to later. And then I, I, I love the idea of just having that, resource that teaching tool out there on the sidelines so you can refer to it real quick because you never have a lot of time to go over those things it's not always clear you give them a visual I think that approach is is perfect and it's something you know again to look at in these different situations how could we apply what what coach Carroll just shared with us here and this idea to some other things as well and I think it just it sets your defense up for success or at least gives you a better chance for success in those situations that takes us to another play that is rare. We may see it uh, just a, a handful of times in a season, but the Hail Mary, right? The last play of the game, Hail Mary. And we'll talk about some other ones of, over the course of the season here, but today we're going to focus on the Hail Mary and defending it. I think that typically most people are kind of in a similar structure. They're in a, like a three-man, right? Everybody matches up underneath. You got three, uh, three-man front. Know, a backer that's on the attached to the back. Everybody's got a little stunt that they like to run to, to keep the quarterback in the pocket. Jam carry, box out when you get to the ball. Yeah, I think that the tip for the ball guy, so we would put our best ball defender in the middle of the field. And when you went three by one, we'd cheat him over. If you stayed in like a two by two, we would leave him in the middle and then he would just kind of play off of where the ball was going to go. But, you know, the tip we always said is if you can bat it down, bat it down. If you can't get the leverage to bat it down, you have to catch it, right? Don't ever tip it up, okay? So bat it down or catch it, right? Those would be some of the, the important parts. And then, like, if they get in three-by-one, which most people do, I think the, the critical thing is the, the important one to stress and practice is the three-by-one sprint out and launch it. And then the 
the other guy, so the backside safety, the other three deep guy, he runs the goal line as the corner on the X boxes out. He runs the goal line. The middle safety becomes the ball guy, and then everybody else, the, the front side safety gets behind the cluster, and then everybody else boxes out. We try to keep him away from the ball guy so he can get the ball on the ground or catch it if it's going over his head. But So that's just a brief about that part. But it goes back to the same things. Like, I want a clip of the Hail Mary that this offensive coordinator's ran. And, again, it comes back to an experience. Right? And I worked – this is a different coordinator I'm talking about. We worked with him. And then by the time we get to the part of camp that they do this, we said, you know, what, what you got to tell Mary look like just so we got an idea before we go out to practice. They said, we go four-man bunch into the boundary and sprint to it. <laughs> All right. You know, I've never seen that before. So we had to come up and just teach, okay, it's going to be empty. So now we got to make a little adjustment because typically the mic, typically they're using the back to seal the edge so they can get the quarterback out. Now the mic's got to get out there and we got to teach this bunch, right? So if that would have happened in the game, I can guarantee you we would have turned somebody loose because we never talked about that. I've never seen anybody go four by diamond into the boundary bunch and then, you know, short roll the best they can get out, whether they, cause they don't have anybody to chip the end now, but if they did, they would, uh, you know, if they got the end hooked, he would keep going. If not, a short roll, and then he has a shot to throw the backside X, or he can, you know, throw out of that four by one that diamond cluster out there. So, you know, we had to create new rules for that. So, I thought there, I was like, look, we always have to have a clip of these guys throwing hail mary. And now they might do something different, but in the game, that's fine. But we have to have a clip. And we have to walk through it. I do not want to lose on a hail mary. I do not want to be unprepared to play a hail mary. You know, and the other thing about that is you start putting guys on those teams, those Hail Mary teams, like maybe an offensive player is your ball guy, whatever, like just making sure you have those substitutions right throughout the game as guys get hurt because that stuff comes up on you quick. You end up in that situation way faster than you think, and if you're not prepared for it and you lose on a Hail Mary, probably not going to be much worse feeling than, than being unprepared for a situation like that. So whatever the offense might do, Whatever that coordinator's done in the past, but I'm going to find the clip because, you know, I mean, he might be a game seven. He probably hasn't thrown a Hail Mary. The majority of teams haven't thrown one. So find what clip from sometime in that guy's career and, and practice that, walk through it, and, and let your players at least know, hey, we're going to be ready for this situation. This is what they've done. He's done in the past. This is what we got. If they come out in something else, this is how we would adjust to it. If it's really funky, I hope we got a timeout to fire. But I think it's important. You know, as you do practice Hail Mary, that you know, you get the guys matched up. You don't let them trick you into something. You know, you have your rules and your principles. It shouldn't be very hard. I think everybody pretty much understands that. But find that clip and make sure you know what you're getting into. Great stuff there, Coach. And a reminder that there's a lot here. And so check our show notes for uh, the details and some of these bullet points that we're talking about. I think there's there's a lot here you can – um, even if, if you don't have the time right now, set it aside and, and, and work on that stuff for later. But uh, a lot of great tips there on preparing your teams for the different situations. And that takes us to the last part of the show today. And we're going to look at our weekly option tips. This one going back to a 3-4 structure. Yeah, East Carolina, they played 3-4 against Navy. It was a really hard-fought game, fun game to watch. A couple points I would say. You know, they played a little bit of backer force. So they were using the edge guys to take the pitch at times, kind of fit the safety inside. It's a changeup that I, you know, I've spoke about a lot in here I really like. I think you have to be able to play multiple forces. But one thing I would say is that force players have to be in a force position. 
I would say a couple of times that, you know, the, some teams like to pull those three, four backers off the ball a little bit because they want to get to different fronts post-snap where they're stunting the fours to fives and blitzing guys and things like that, which is a great uh, change up and it's a great structure to be in. A lot of people have success with the option playing that, but you got to make sure that when it's those guys num- times that when you call their number to force the ball and stay outside the arc, that you got to be able to pull a trigger and get outside the arc of the safety because here's the other issue and this is one of those practice issues that comes up the speed and the width at which the slots will arc to get to the safety so the slot doesn't know that you're not using the safety as the force player on this particular play so he's still gonna get width quickly right he's gonna widen really quick to try to you know create a alley for the safety because what do they want to do they want to widen the force player as much as possible they don't mind that you force the pitch they're cool with that but if they can make you force it outside the numbers they got great running lanes, okay? So they get wide to make you match their width, and now it becomes like a fading force situation. Well, if you're head up to them or just slightly outside and they get width really quickly, now you got to run for width, and now just the whole force is just taking itself out of the play. So just make sure that whoever you're forcing it with on a particular play, make sure force players are in force positions where they can pull the trigger downhill and try to get the ball cut off and shorten the, the alleys for the – for the option to run through. The other one watching them, they played their front side backers really aggressive to the front side, something that I think is really important to do in a 3 4. You know, fullback steps at you. We've talked about this before, being able to play fast through that alley. But the backside backer, still responsible for the fullback and the dives on those plays, has to be ready to get cut by the center. And you know, I used to run these key drills a lot with just a, a quarterback, a fullback, and I would, I would stand in as the center. And the you know the, the two backers work on the string as the fullback takes direction, and then throw a agility bag or a, like a, a step over at the backside backer's knee. So he got to play the cut every single time. I don't care if we're in a walkthrough. I don't care if it's a um, a walkthrough in the meeting room, whatever. But just backside linebacker flow away. You're going to the fullback, but you've got to play the cut. You've got to be able to punch the helmet of the center, get his face down, and get over the top of it. You got to know it's coming. He's gonna crawl. Most of the time, he's going to crawl out of there. He's going to shoulder into the nose as the nose lags backside, and he's going to crawl out of there and try to get you any way he can. So backside linebacker flow away. Got to be ready to play the cut. And the last thing you notice on the tape, any three-man surface play in the option, you have to have a plan to play G lead. So whatever they've shown G lead in, whatever formation, I know that the, the tedious part sometimes of playing the option is getting adjusted to all the formations. And if this guy's eligible and he's not eligible and we're going to spin our safeties this way, and, it's, and it, it can be extremely tedious. There's nobody that's more sympathetic to that than me. But anytime you have a three-man surface, you've got to be able to play the G lead. And personally, I think that means you want to have a tight nine technique that can spill the guard as soon as he pulls. If you've got a better way or a different way, that's fine. But just no matter what, whether it's a tight end over there, whether it's a tackle over formation that they like to give, we've got to be able to play the G lead the best we can and at least get the ball to stay sideways while we run it down. Because when they can just pull that guard around and guarantee three-plus yards, it can be a long day. So when the fullback's making yards, again, the fullback can't let the fullback make the yards, you can't let the ball circle the defense. And if you can stop those two things, usually you got a pretty good chance to win. Then it gets into, like I talked about before, the turnovers and the fourth down stops. But, you know, if you let the fullback make the yards, that's something that they can always come back to, and they typically do, and it makes it a difficult day for the defense. 
Dan, you presented a ton of great tips today, a ton of great coaching points, suggestions. Again, all of those are outlined and bulleted in our show notes. If you want to uh, be able to, to take a look at these later or put some of those things in your notes. Coach, I really appreciate all the time that you put into this. Another great week of defense with DC here, and we look forward to continuing this as the season goes along. Yeah, I appreciate it, Keith. Thanks for having me.